It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up on today's show, why getting a sound night's sleep is so important. I get a refresher in CPR. Singer Mary Black is orchestrated. But first today, I'm joined by Maria Monzen. And she's going to tell us about being a mum to not one but two children who are born with the rare skin condition, EB. Maria, yourself and Barry, your husband, you've been touched more than most by EB. Let's go back a little bit to, what, 2015, 2016. You're expecting your first baby. Yeah, April 2016 is when it, when Lola was born. During the pregnancy, any issues? No, everything was fine. Everything was normal, you know, the normal ups and downs, but everything was fine. Then the day she was born, she was born in Mullingar Hospital and uh, she was born by section and... The midwife that was with us in theatre, uh, she found that her fingers were kind of like peeling. Not exactly peeling, but like there was something kind of like wrong with her fingers. So she thought it had to be seen by the pediatricians there in the hospital. So quite quick, really, uh, the pediatricians contact Crumlin Hospital, where is the, the dermatology unit. And uh, they suggested that she had to be transferred to Crumlin straight away for assessment. So I'd say maybe four or five hours, maybe six hours after she was born, she was transferred from Mullingar Hospital to Crumlin. And that's when it all really started. Like uh, the doctors in Crumlin probably straight away knew that she had EB, but they couldn't confirm it to us till they had uh, an official diagnosis. So they had to do a biopsy and some tests to just confirm that they were, that was what they thought that she had. Like So um, it took a couple of weeks for the biopsy results to come back. And uh, in the meantime, while, they, while we were waiting for the results, they kind of trained us on uh, what the condition was, how was it going to affect her. They didn't know what type she was at the time. So they kind of tried to cover generally the, the, the dressings that have to be applied on kids with this condition, the medication that she might be on, the type of diet that she would have to have. And then two weeks later... Uh, kind of unexpectedly, because she was doing quite good for the two weeks that we were there. Uh, they, the results came back saying that she had junctional, which is the worst type of EB, the more severe one. Kids with this type don't really see their first birthday. So um, from that moment on, we just have to decide to come home and try to enjoy every second we had with her. And every second was precious, every yeah. hour, every day you had her. But this little lady, uh, Lola, was some battler because she had to be in some pain. She did, and we know she did, but at the same time, um, the doctors in Crumlin were amazing, and also the palliative care unit here in the community in Meath, they were amazing as well. So her pain levels, she did have some level of discomfort, but the medication she was on was keeping everything kind of like at the most comfortable level that was manageable, you know, like was able to, we were able to have for her. So um, really the worst part of it all, and every patient with EB will tell you the same, they have to go through dressing changes between three and four times a week, every second day really, and that's the worst of it all, like because you have to be applying dressings on wounds that are, like the skin would be quite open. So having to change them dressings, have, is, it is really painful. So they, they would need to have extra medication for 
to have their baths and have, you know, their dressing changes. But then the rest of the time, really, it's a, ma- it's a matter of just keeping them comfortable, being aware that if you touch their skin, uh, like their skin is so fragile that they will blister really easy. Like our kids, for example, like their baby grows, they had to be inside out because the seams of the baby grows would cause blistering in their skin. So that's the level of fragility of their skin. Like, you know, like if you hold them, you have to be holding them with a pillow. So, you know, there's no friction, there's no rubbing on their skin. So, um, but yeah, like apart from the dressing changes, we believe that throughout her whole life, she lived for seven months and one day. And we like to say the extra day because every day was a fight. So, you know, it was like seven months of constant marathon for her to be able to, you know, to give us all the happiness that she gave us. Like she, she did change our lives for the better. We know it's a tragic situation and, you know, uh, obviously we're not being being realistic realistic about it is heartbreaking when you hear our story but at the same time there was so much good in it you know like she was such a resilient baby and like she had an amazing presence like everybody would say that even though she was only little you would look at her and just in her eyes you could tell that she was understanding everything that was happening you know she had a lot of wisdom in her the way she looked at people like I don't know it's very hard to explain but she she did have a presence a very special a special presence in the room that it was shocking to see from such a small baby like yeah and uh, obviously those months were so precious to all of you the yeah. seven months in a day does anything prepare you Maria like you were told that her life would be short but even when you know the time comes that she passes on at such a tender young age of only seven months are you ever prepared for it I guess we were not fully but there was I don't know like I mean when it happened finally she she did get worse and worse every day a little bit right and when she did pass it just felt like it was the right thing for her to happen she had been suffering for quite a bit uh, maybe not pain, but like she would have been very tired, she would have been very sleepy, and like it got to the point where we didn't feel her quality of life was, you know, what we would have wanted for her. So when she did pass, it just felt like the right thing for her. I know it sounds really bad, especially coming from her mom, to say that, but um, it was more so. I guess we just took each day at a time. Like I mean, the doctors would have tell us, would have told us, uh, you know, you can't expect to do certain things with her because she's not going to be able and, you know, she's not going to see her first birthday and all this stuff. But, like, even though we were told all this stuff, it was not till it happened that we realised we were not 100% ready for it. You have a very tough time when she passes and, of course, life moves on and uh, you're back to where you are, just the two of you. Mm -hmm. you. You obviously then talk about having another baby or trying again. Yeah. Were you aware that there was a risk involved? Yeah, we did. We did talk to doctors and uh, people that would be specialists in genetics and we wanted to make sure that the decision we were making was, you know, we, we wanted to have as much information about it as possible. So we knew if we had a second baby or even now if we, ha- we wanted to have a third baby, uh, the chances for us to have another child with EB were all, are always going to be 25%, which is one in four. So we did talk to doctors about it. And in all fairness, maybe we're being a bit naive about it. But we just, it was so heartbreaking that it happened to us with our first baby that she ha- she was born with us and she had to pass away. We, these, we, we didn't want to believe it was going to happen to us twice. But uh, talking to other doctors as well and knowing, even though I said that Lola did have a, a certain level of discomfort, overall she did have a very good quality of life and we were able to do loads of things with her. And she did have a happy life overall. So we thought if we're in that situation of, you know, being pregnant and finding out that our second baby is going to have the same condition, are we going to be able to cope with it? Are, are we going to be able, you know, are we going to be responsible uh, making this decision or so anyway so long story short we just decided to go ahead in all fairness like I mean for us to have to go to this through this twice the chances of it are so slim mm. we just decided well listen we'll go ahead and like that's all we've ever wanted we've all, always wanted to have a family like we both come from big families I have five siblings and Barry has four so we always wanted to have a big family so we decided to go ahead with it and uh we got an amniocentesis done when I was around four months pregnant. And uh, when the results came back, I mean, 
the difference this time around was that we knew exactly what was ahead of us, which was, you know, that the first time it didn't happen to us. We were kind of discovering things each day, you know, as they were happening. But this time around, we knew exactly what was going to happen to us. So it was, it was, I think, the worst time of our lives between, you know, getting the diagnosis till the day Luca was born in July. It was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was. I, I, I don't ha- even have words to explain it. But then again, we kind of said, listen, we've been trained in a way by Lola. Lola has given us so many tips and, you know, we, we kind of knew so much about it already. We thought if this has to happen, that baby born with him would probably be better be born with us because, you know, we would be able to care for him in a better way than maybe a family that has never gone through it before would, you know. So um, the results came back uh, in February. Luca was born in July. Then a few months where, as I said, really, really hard. Uh, but then he was born and you know, just looking at his face, and it was just—it was all worth it. Just, just by seeing his face, it was all—it was all worth it. So, he was born the same way. He was born just his fingers were a little bit like peeling, just the same way as Lola's were, and um, happily enough now because we were able to prepare for it beforehand. We had meetings with the doctors, both in the Rotonda Hospital and Crumlin, and everybody was on board. Everybody knew what the plan was going to be. This time around, we decided that we didn't want to kind of fix things that were not, you know, were not going to bring us anywhere. We knew he was going to die. So we said to the teams, what we want is for him to have the best quality of life possible. And we want him to stay at home as much as possible. And we don't want extraordinary measures because we knew he was going to pass. We just wanted him to pass as peacefully as possible without us having to, you know, try new treatments or, you know, trying to, we were we were going to let him uh, have his own life as as what whatever he was able to have and whatever he was able to you know to do throughout his life that we didn't want to interfere in that so um that was fine we came home i don't know if it's because he was a boy but he was feeding so good he was feeding so much better than lola we believe that that just for that reason his life was a little bit better than lola's from a physical point of view so um so yeah so it was just more I don't know how to explain it. If somebody has ever gone through this uh, like we have, the perspective you you have of life is completely different than anybody that hasn't gone through this we have. You know, so uh, we really, really, and you have to believe me when I say we value every minute. We know how hard they have to fight every minute for them to keep breathing and stay alive and smile and, you know, and give us all the good memories. So, um, so Luca's life was, you know, we were able to do so many things. We got married with him because Barry proposed to me when Lola was born, so we felt the right thing to do was to get married with Luca, and we got married with him. We saw Christmas with him. He spent Halloween, Easter. You know, we, we he had a full year with us. He lived for, for 12 months, really, and 30 days, the day before he was going to be thir- turn, thir- turning 13 months. So um, we were able to do so many things with him, and he had, thanks to Lola, I think, because I think Lola's life had a very, very big impact in Luca's life, even though they never met. Thanks to Lola, I think he had a lot of stability, a lot of quality of life. Loads of people would have enjoyed, you know, coming for a cup of tea and holding him and playing with him. And um, I don't know, like, we don't regret at all having had the second child. And I know it's something um, some people might not understand, uh, but you had to be here and you, you, all those people that met him know what I'm talking about. He was really... He was so cheeky, like, you know, he would like to be messing around and um, he had a lot of character. He probably got that from me. And uh, <laughs> he was, I don't know, like he would like this show, this particular show on. And if that show was not on, on the telly, he'd give out to you. Like, you know, he had a lot of personality, yes. even though he was so little, like. So, um, I don't know, like people ask us, like, you know, on how are you getting on and how can you cope? And if, I, if I'm honest... I think the reason that is keeping us going, both for myself and Mary, is that we believe they had to be born sick the way they were to kind of like leave some massive imprint in in all our lives, like um, both our families and our friends. Like, and um, I think I think they did have a massive effect in loads of people that know us. Like, you know, they would they would cut. Excuse me. They would come and meet him, or or they would come and meet Lola, and like 
they could see that there was, I don't know, like even though they were going through so much, like they were able to smile and they were able to play and they were able to do things like, and nothing else mattered. You know, like only the the, the important things were the, the, the things that matter here. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm so glad, I'm so glad we had the tickets. Obviously, I would have, I would have done everything in my hand to prevent them from having this. But I think overall, they they they've done so much good for us and so much good for this world, like or for for Trim, like for the EV community, they've done so much, like. So um, I don't know. I'm so proud of them, the mm. two of them. I'm so so proud of them. You are an incredible woman because uh, you only lost your son in August of this year, and you're so strong to be able to come on today and talk about them the way you have. But I know what you're saying there, their legacy, and this is what you are working and building on. Obviously, with the children, both of your lives have been on hold. Do, do you feel like a vacuum or an emptiness now, or have you been able to, you know, refocus and move on? Well, you don't move on when this happens to you, I think. I think you maybe move forward. Um, but, yeah, like the emptiness you're talking about, it is quite true because the kids' care was so... Like, it was 24-7. There would be nurses and doctors here constantly. And, like, Barry and myself would spend every day together. But we often would say, like, oh, my God, we've been together for, you know, let's say a week straight. And we feel like we haven't seen each other because we were so focused on the kids and we were so focused on doing dressings and feeding them and changing them. And um, so now, and it happened after Lola died as well, like, um, it just feels like you're just here and you don't know really what should you be doing? Like, it's just, you have too much time in your hands. So the good thing is that we're both back at work at the minute. So I think that's keeping us sane at the minute because it's mm. keeping us busy. But, you know, doing things like, you know, through during DCB Awareness Week or doing thing for, things for Debra or doing things related to the kids in a way is kind of like, is the thing like we're fo- that we're focusing on at the minute. So, um, so yeah, I don't know, it's hard, but... Uh, and you try to keep their memories alive, you know, and keep them present. I know they're not here with us, but they're a massive part of our lives. Like, you know, everything we do during the day or, you know, during our time, like we always do to kind of like to make them feel proud of us. So they're not here, but they're a massive part of our life still. And they will always be like. Well, I'll tell you something. You are such an incredible person and a strong woman. And we remember Lola and Luca Flynn Monzen today on the show. And I just want to wish yourself and Barry all the very best going forward. And you're doing a power of good for a very, very worthy charity. And I just want to mention today, it is EB Awareness Week. And Deborah Ireland, the charity that supports EB patients and their families, is asking people to help. And you can pick up a Deborah Ireland butterfly tattoo at any Apple Green service station and text the word butterfly to 50300 to make a €4 euro donation. Ah, you're just great. Thank you so much for taking time to join us this afternoon, Marie, on Late Lunch. Thank you very much to all of you, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors' annual sales event now on. No deposit and low APR same-day finance approval available. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda and Dundalk. My next guest on Late Lunch this afternoon has been a tour de force on the Irish music scene for three decades, releasing 12 studio albums, producing a raft of hits and achieving platinum sales. Mary Black's new album is, however, unlike anything she's produced previously. It's called Mary Black Orchestrated, and Mary joins us from the studios of her sister station, FM 104 in Dublin. Good afternoon, Mary. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Tell us first off, how did this come about? Um, I suppose the first idea we had, um, it, as you said, 30 years since No Frontiers, believe it or not. So it's my, my career has spanned closer to 40 years. Uh, I don't like to say that too loudly, <laughs> but uh, people start doing the maths, they'll figure it out. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's funny, we wanted to mark the No Frontiers album somewhere or another. We weren't sure what we'd do. And then the idea came about that maybe an orchestrated version of the whole album 
But the more I looked at the songs, obviously No Frontiers is on this new orchestrated album and, and that's partly the reason of it because it's 30 years. But the more we looked at the, the whole ca- catalogue of songs, the more I felt there should be other songs on it, you know, as well. So we just mixed uh, a, a collection of my own personal favourites um, of, of songs I've done throughout the years. Some would be better known than others. Obviously, No Frontiers is a well-known song. There's songs like Carolina Rua, Adam at the Window, um, and songs like that, but but a lot of them are more. Uh, they wouldn't be my. They wouldn't be like a best of, let's say. Mm. And that they would. There's an urge for going, which is uh, a song written by Joni Mitchell, which I always loved, and uh, and 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 other songs like that. There's a beautiful song called Poison Words, which we finished the album on. But there were songs that lent themselves to orchestration, and that was the other reason why I picked them. You know. And Brian Byrne, of course. Brian Byrne from Navin and County Me, the great friend of ours on Late Lunch mm-hmm. and LMFM Radio. He's the man who's worked the oh. magic with you and the RTE National Symphony Orchestra. Did you know Brian before this? I knew of him, but I'd never met him. And uh, he had worked actually with Danny, my son, uh, with the Coronas at one stage. And uh, and I'd heard about him, of course, but I never met him. And and he was just incredible from the outset. Um, he said he grew up listening to my music through. Uh, he's he's quite a bit younger than me, but he remembers, you know, backing people at little concerts around Navin, where he's from, um, on the piano. And he knew a lot of my work and he he. He just did an amazing job in uh, arranging and producing and, of course, conducting the orchestra. So, uh, yeah, it was a a joy to meet him and a joy to work with him. The 11 you've selected, you you touched on it a moment ago, your Mm -hmm. personal choices, some well-known ones as well. And let me say, Mary, since I got it, we're playing it non-stop up in the office. We absolutely love it. I want to tell you that from the heart. We really do. But, you know, today we were looking at your catalogue Oh my, oh my, you could do a series of these. I know, I know. It's so much, so many songs over such a long period of time. Um, I mean, I was releasing an album almost every second year uh, for a while and obviously not in the last 10 or 20, 15 years. But like in the early days, it was nearly every second year I brought an album out. So there is a lot of, of music there and, and uh, you know... Maybe there was a volume two, you never know. <laughs> oh, there you go. Good, that you're thinking that way That's already. your idea, Jerry. Well, there your you idea. are. I've given it to you today. I'll take that little bit, of course, from this conversation. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I was looking at your fans uh, commenting on the new album and, and reflecting on when they came across your music f- first. And, you know, there's still such a love of the originals, Mary. Yeah. Well, these songs are the original recordings. Yeah. And, uh, and I must stress that. And what, 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 Brian, as as an arranger and conductor and uh, producer, has done is bring them, give them new life, if you like. Mm. And and I think the addition of the orchestration and arrangements have really, really sort of given a, a great sort of uh, bo- boost to these songs that have been recorded down through the years. And uh, you know, they they kind of follow each other as well, very well in the album. And I think running order helps that. Um, but I, I'm hoping that people will really feel uh, a new energy from them. And would there be a possibility of you taking to the stage in the National Concert Hall where this was recorded for maybe a series of concerts with the, with, with the orchestra? Well, I, yes, there is. In fact, we have booked uh, the 17th of March um, as the date for me to, to sing these songs live with the National oh. Symphony Orchestra. So I'm looking forward very much to that. Fantastic. And who knows what the future holds. Already I've been getting calls from, from people who um, have orchestras in different parts of the world. Uh, we got a call from Tasmania there recently and uh, we were talking to them about the possibility of taking this uh, recorded album uh, and touring it but uh, who knows uh, I'll wait and see how that pans out um, but you know looking forward to doing it live on the 17th of March Marvellous to hear that mm. is happening today there'll be some scramble for tickets I can tell you <laughs> for, for that one for sure who did the artwork on the actual physical album that you sent us? Well, uh, a fella called Joe Cashin is the illustrator he he um, he does an awful lot of work um, he puts big, big, big things on buildings and he does incredible drawings. He's a very, very talented guy uh, of, of different people and, you know, around the, the, the referendum for, for uh, gay marriage, he was he had an amazing piece down in uh, uh, Georgia Street 
I mean, huge, huge pieces the side of buildings. And uh, we kind of met him through through uh, some friends, and we asked him would he do the illustration. So he took he took a picture and did the drawings. And and uh, yeah, he did a lot of work. And another friend of ours, Luke, who um, who did some of the other stuff, the graphics inside, and that you know. It's lovely. It really is. It's simple, but it really does have the effect. I can tell you that it, it makes an impact as soon as you see it. Now, it's been Great. a busy year for you because besides this wonderful project and the doors that this is going to open now and into next year, uh, what a fantastic series. Ireland's favourite folk song, which you presented. W- were you, you been at the heart of it. Did you feel Raglan Road would lift the gong? I... I felt Raglan Road deserved its place in the final 10, without a doubt. Um, you know, it's very, it's a very personal thing, isn't it? You know, everybody has yeah. their own favourites. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's like um, what, what some person, people came up to me and said, oh, why was such and such a song not in it? Well, in the end of the day, those, you know, everyone could vote for their favourite. And God, there was thousands upon thousands of different songs in the original list. But whittling it down to 10 was difficult. But then after that, the people voted again and they voted for Raglan Road. And I think it did deserve its place. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful series and it brought back wonderful memories, Mary, to lots and lots of people. Exactly, and myself included. But when I was approached to do that, I hadn't really done anything like that before. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting for me to get involved in something and do something, kind of, I suppose, uh, explore other areas of, of, of things like presenting. And, and it was a great experience, but I don't know if I'd do it again. It's a lot of hard work. <laughs> a lot of time. No bother to you. Listen, it's another <laughs> string to your bow if you needed yeah. one with all the strings yeah. you have to deal with. But but here's the thing as well, the documentary about you on RTE uh, yeah. and it was a landmark doc- documentary and I want to say to you it, it was a no holds barred. It was just honest to the core. You and your story as well. Is th- That's what you wanted to do to get across? Absolutely. I mean, I, I from the outset, I said I want this to be I want this to be me and my voice, and talking like I'm just sitting talking to someone in a room, you know. Um, so that that's exactly what what the the director Morris uh, tried to get, and you know, I think all people have all sorts of problems throughout their life, and and life isn't always wonderful. People might get that impression when you look at someone like myself, for example, who's flying high and doing concerts all over the world, and you know, have a healthy uh, relationship and 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 children and all that. But you know, everyone has their down times, and you know, I don't I don't think anybody in the world doesn't have you know bad times in some way or another. So yeah, I wanted to to, to include that. I wanted to talk about that side of 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 me, and uh, yeah, I got a lot of great response from that, and people who who are you know saying I know exactly what you're talking about. So many people have sent me emails and, and, and uh, you know, said it to me. Even people on the street come up and talk about it. So I think bringing, bringing mental health issues to the fore is, is a good thing. And the more it's talked about and accepted, the, it, the better it is for everyone. Absolutely. And uh, congratulations again on it. And w- w- one aspect of it I just wanted to mention to you today, you know, w- w- where you were born, where you came from, that tough time mm-hmm. there. And, and last week we were talking about it on this show and it brought a huge reaction and it has nationally as well. To see that young child eating dinner from a cardboard box mm. on the street and the, the homelessness, it's hard to believe that in, in this day and age in Ireland. It is, and it's a shame that it has. It's continuing to homelessness is continuing to rise, and and um, I don't understand why that hasn't been, uh, you know, tackled properly by our government. I mean, these are the people who are supposed to sit down and sort out the problems that we vote them in for. So I really do feel, and I know a lot of people feel the same way, that that should be sorted. That children, particularly, should not be out homeless and living in in hotels and 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 having to eat their dinner on the street. That's that's outrageous at this day and age. On the sporting front, when you joined me here a few years ago, we had a good old chat about the dubs and your link to them as well. <laughs> what do you say, five in a row? Oh, I was, we were thrilled. We were yeah. thrilled. And I know the rest of the country feel, feel they're totally fed up with the dubs. And I understand <laughs> that. I totally understand that. But uh, when, you know, when you're, when you're there with them, they're such a great bunch of lads. They do great 
you know, charity work. They, they're real down to earth guys and they work hard to be the, to be the team that they are. And uh, we had a great celebration with them the two or three nights after the All-Ireland. Uh, they love to trad music and folk music. And I've been lucky enough to be part of that little session that they have uh, after each each time they win. But like, it's not going to last forever. Believe me. And that's why we enjoy it so much. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I think, look, at in, in one way, yes, of course, had Kerry won, it would have been the end of something special. But yeah. they have made history now and they're a wonderful, wonderful team. And Jim Gavin has been one of the greatest managers of all time. And you can yeah. just say, well done and congratulations to them. But you're there to be shot at by the rest. You know that? Ah, sure, I know that. I it's know. always well, the way. <laughs> wait till I go down to Kerry now. I'll be really getting it now. <laughs> you certainly will. I was just looking. You Imminently you have Vicker Street coming up. Is it the 2nd of November? Yeah, I'm actually going, playing uh, this weekend in, in Dingle, the Dingle Folk Festival. Oh, yeah. So that's what I mean about going down Don't to Kerry. Oh, listen, they'll be they'll ready be for you. They'll giving me a hard time. No, not at all. They love you down <laughs> yeah, there as much as it, in the city. Of course they do. Vicker Street, I think, is nearly sold out. And then you yeah. mentioned next March. You're also in the INEC, isn't it? Killarney next March sometime. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah so when, when when we agreed to do the, um, the, the, the gig in the National Concert Hall, we said we'd like to put in a few other uh, concerts around that just to sort of... And what we're doing actually now uh, with the concerts is we have um, filmed some of the orchestra on some of the songs and we have a big screen behind. So we're a- people who come to my concerts now will be able to get a little feel of what this orchestration album is all about if they haven't heard it already and they can watch the actual orchestra playing as if th- when they were playing live on the tracks and uh, it just brings it just brings something new to the gig as well. So I'm really excited about mm. that. Uh, I know you've plans with orchestras all over the world and the phone I'm sure is ringing non-stop but Mary can I say to you don't forget about us around the country we'd love to see you on tour and in concert again it's been too long Oh, well, I, I mean, I'm I'm doing quite a bit of touring now. Yeah. I always tour in Ireland once yeah, a year, so yeah, there's yeah, no, there's, yeah. that won't change for a long Grace, time. So we were worried. We were concerned. Limerick. Yeah, we were worried. We were worried. So she's gone now. Don't she's away. She's away. I'm she, not going anywhere. You will be back, of course, <laughs> yeah. in the northeast yeah. as well, in the near yes. future. Well, look, I just wanted to touch base with you today. I know you're in demand all over the place. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us on Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We do appreciate it. And I want to finish out... I've picked. Is that okay? You picked 11. Yes. I picked one from the 11. Is that all right? right. Will you That's allow me absolutely that? absolutely fine. Mary Black, No Frontiers. Orchestrated is the album. Before you go, where can it be got? I would take Spotify, downloads, physical copy. All that. All yeah, that stuff. Yeah, no, and you can get it. You can get it in any good record store. I'm sure Very they important. Have it yeah, and we have yes. a new record we, store. Golden Discs have reopened in Drogheda. They're in Navin now. We have a wonderful right. shop in Dundalk as well. And uh, Golden Discs have lots of it. And also it's on vinyl for those people who are like vinyl because I think vinyl is getting more popular again. Oh, absolutely. Back mm-hmm. to the future, Mary. That's what it's there all you go. about. <laughs> anyway, lovely to catch up with you today. All and we'll the best. finish out with no frontiers. God bless you. Take care, Mary. Bye bye. Bye bye. If life is a river and your heart is a boat, and just like a water baby, baby, born to float, and if life is a wild wind that blows away. Didn't
might remember on late lunch a few weeks back uh, we had a visit from Mark Lynch and Pat Smith and they were talking about CPR and of course last week was a big week in terms of awareness and training people how to do CPR and they're back with me on late lunch today because I committed on that day that I do a refresher CPR course myself and I want to welcome back to studio emergency medical technician Mark Lynch. Mark you're very welcome back and advanced paramedic ambulance officer and instructor instructor Pat Smith. You're both welcome again to the show. Pat, if I, I could start with yourself, uh, maybe a word for last week and how pleased you were. Last week was a huge success across the whole country with hundreds of people turning up at organised events where we were able to show them the basics in CPR and how to make that emergency call and with an emphasis again upon the air code. And uh, you got great uh, traction from your appearance here and uh, what we did for you last week. Yes, we had people that actually drove from Ashburn to Loud County Hospital in Dundalk, uh, specifically from what they, the publicity we had received through LMFM, which was much appreciated. Oh, that's great news. It really is. So more people uh, now know what to do in an emergency situation. So tell us, you're going to do a demonstration here for me first so as I can get an idea what you're going to actually show me. Uh, explain to listeners w- what we have here. We, we have probably one of the most modern, modern training mannequins that's available on the market at the moment with a, what they call a feedback device that gives you... Uh, a measurement on your rate and your depth and your hand position which is essential for for training Uh, and this is very much pushed out by the Irish Heart Foundation Uh, and then the mannequin itself is just a torso so unfortunately it doesn't uh, come with legs it's easy to move around through all the community groups for training and this one is belonging actually to the Loud County Hospital who have supported us today by loaning it. Okay, we're going to have a professional demonstration and I just want to tell you, join us and do get onto Facebook Live now straight away. We have a Facebook Live of the pros doing this and then I'm going to have a go myself. So Facebook Live as quick as you can and you'll see what's happening here in studio. So let's uh, paint the scenario. We arrive at an emergency and somebody is lying on the ground like this and obviously they've had a major incident. What's the first thing to do? Uh, The first thing is to establish that the scene is safe because there is no point in the responder or the first aider or ambulance person ending up being injured because of ongoing events in that area at the time. So establish that scene is safe is first. After that then you tap and talk with your patient to establish responsive, unresponsive. Then you must make that 999-112 call. 
uh, and tie it into an air code if you can. If it if you don't have our call takers in emergency operations centre in Dublin, will then send you a locate me text, which will be able to tie down and track down your mobile phone. Uh, confirmation of no pulse, and then we can start into our compressions at a rate of thirty ventilations or thirty compressions to two ventilations and so on and then emergency services are on the way the call taker in our emergency operations centre in Dublin will remain with you on the phone and talk you through if you've never done CPR or you're nervous they will talk you through the process and they will count with you to maintain that nice rate uh, and depth That's interesting because the first thing I would have done would be jump into action or try and do something and that's a cardinal error you must alert the emergency services number one Absolutely and apart from ambulances coming to you, your community first responder scheme, uh, will, they will be activated by a text alert. They're also on the way to you in conjunction with other assets, be them air or land, our colleagues in the fire service, our colleagues in the Gardaí on They all will have done some CPR training and they will come and help. Now, we've established here, let's say, that there is no pulse. What are you going to do now, Pat? Uh, so then I'm going to open down the, the jacket and going to identify uh, a high up position, but roughly across the nipple line. And in the centre of the chest, I'm going to place one hand and lock the second hand in. And I'm going to push down hard and fast, about two and a half inches in depth at a rate of 100 to 120 per minute. And that's the first thing you do? Forget about airways or anything like that? Straight into compressions. There is enough oxygen within the blood already that will maintain our brain and other organs and we just need to circulate that around. Okay, come on. Let's have a practical demonstration here. So... Scene is safe. It's established. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Pulse check. No pulse? Mark, please go. Ring 999-112 and bring me an AED. Open the chest clothing. Place your hand in the centre of the chest. Lock your arms together and push hard and fast. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. Head tilt, chin lift, make a seal around the lips. Two ventilations. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. And so on. And this will run then as soon as a, an AED would arrive. You attach the AED, switch it on and follow the prompts. It possibly is a rhythm that we can defibrillate, which will be ventricular fibrillation or pulseless ventricular tachycardia. But the machine identifies those. So people don't have to worry about knowing ECGs or anything like that. The machine will do everything. Now, can I make a couple of comments here? Firstly, they are quite uh, heavy compressions. You are really pushing in hard there on the body. Yes, yeah, so you must achieve two and a half inches in depth. So it's no good being gentle there. You have to do this. You, you must push hard and fast, 100 to 120 per minute. So 30 at a time, then two breaths and then straight back and you keep that going. Yeah, that's right. Some people have a, have a hesitation and they're reluctant to uh, ventilate the patient because they don't know them. There's less than 1% chance that you'll ever catch anything from uh, making mouth-to-mouth contact. Uh, if you're still reluctant, our call takers in the emergency operations centre will encourage you just to do compressions, so hands only. And hence the ESB at the moment are rolling out through the schools hands for life mm. and it is pushing hard and fast. So the ventilations is not always a necessity. You're a little out of breath. 
A little bit. <laughs> this takes uh, doing, like, you know what I mean? It, it takes it out of you. It could be, and you could be 15 or you could be 20 minutes that you would be doing compressions mm. uh, and you wait for help. And, and you don't worry that you'll damage the patient or break anything or bust their heart. The, the, there is a chance sometimes that if your hands are slightly off that you may have a cracked rib. Uh, those we can fix, but if we get a heart restarted, uh, all will be good. All will be good. Now, we're going to take a break on late lunch and it's going to be my turn after the break to attempt this. It's years since I've been trained and I am quite nervous about this. Stay with us. Stay with us on Facebook Live. Stay with us on the radio. Jerry Kelly gets a refresher on CPR in a few moments. Yes, you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Wednesday afternoon and we're on Facebook Live and I'm about to try and... uh, Revive a patient here, CPR. I did it years ago, as I said. A few moments ago, Pat Smith gave us a demonstration. And Pat is here today, along with Mark Lynch. So I'm going to hand the microphone over to Brian Farley, who's with us here this afternoon. And Pat, OK, so talk me through. What have I to do okay. here? Establish that the scene is safe. That's most important. Yeah. OK, so you've established the scene is safe. So now it's down, it's tap and talk. So you just need to tap okay, the patient so and call, say hello, down, hello, can you hear like me? Down like this, like this on the neck. Hello, yes. hello, hello, can you hear me? Can you hear me? No response. No response. No response. So now you must so activate the emergency services. OK, make the call to... 999 and 112 and with an air code if possible. And if I'm on my own, I should do that and leave the patient for that moment until I get that done. Yes, that's okay, most important. All right. Okay. Now, I unzip. Yes, I open up yes. uh, the clothing or whatever okay. to expose and the you're chest. Going to feel the neck to see if you can feel a pulse and preferably the side, the side closest yeah. to and, you. And two fingers. Two and fingers and just push beside yes. the Adam's apple. Okay, yeah, yeah. So and nothing there. If there's anything there, you will feel it. If there's any doubt, move on. If there is a pulse, there's no need to do what we're going to do now. There's no need. Okay. We, ju- we just need to confirm then if there is a pulse that the patient would be breathing and that's Fair a slightly enough. different scenario. Okay. So now I'm going to start these compressions okay. immediately. Just so, show me my hands. Okay, so you're going to place the heel of your hand in the centre centre of the chest okay, yes. and you're going to cup the other one across it and interlace your fingers okay. and bring your elbow straight in nice and tight and you're going yes. to push down hard and fast okay. at 120 beats per minute. Okay, here we go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. At that stage then, I... Pinch the nose. Pinch the nose. Tilt the head back. Tilt the head back. And make a seal around the lips. Okay, and blow in, is it? Yes. Well done. And one more. And back on. And then straight back again with the hands. Get the chest there in the middle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, twenty, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, thirty. Head back again, pinch the nose. And back on again. This first, grip the hands like this, lean over. Yeah. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 30. I'll tell you boys, I could be lying on me back here in a minute and you might be pushing on this chest. That is tough going. It is tough going, isn't it? It is going. It is tough going. But if that's why it's, it's a marathon rather than a sprint. And you just have to be nice and consistent, maintain the right rate and the right depth. Help is coming. That's what you must know that from the minute you make that call, help is activated. Be it a community first responder, uh, be it uh, an ambulance, a motorbike in some parts of the country, rapid response vehicles. Uh, loads of people are coming. And the first person that arrives to help you, even a civilian, they can put their hands in the centre of the chest and they can start compressions and give you a break. And yes. every two minutes, then you can alternate because it is important that we keep that heart pumping by the compressions we're doing to circulate some blood to the brain and other vital organs. Uh, and then when the defibrillator arrives, we can apply that and hopefully we'll be able to de- defibrillate the patient and get a return of spontaneous circulation. And our numbers are increasing on that. We have 19 and 20 percent uh, across the country improvement. Let me talk to Mark Lynch for a second about that, because, Mark, you'd be arriving with the defib and... You just g- g- treat the patient or apply the defib immediately. You'll be 
continuing on the compressions. Yeah. I'll put the defib on and then I'll turn on the defib. It'll tell me what to do. Put the pads on when you're continuing on the compressions. Okay, so that goes on simultaneously. That'll go on the defib. It'll tell you everything you need to know. It'll talk you through everything. I'll give you a break as well. I'll come and I'll start the compressions and you'll you'll go to the airway then. From your experience, when the defib arrives, if the patient is going to uh, get into or become in recovery mode, uh, does that happen quick enough with, with the application of a defibrillator? It does. It can happen fairly quick, can't mm. it, mm. can't. It just depends yes. how long the patient is actually lying there as well. Yes. So a uh, witness collapse or cardiac arrest is very important as well. Mm. That's why I encourage people to do CPR. Yes. Witnessed like that works very well. Cat. Yeah, the defibrillators are wonderful pieces of kit. They will not, they're not good enough on their own. They need CPR with them. So combined, they're successful on their own. They're not as successful, but you need CPR as part of the whole process. Um, we can use medications, etc., but the evidence is supporting uh, early CPR, early defibrillation, all part of the chain of survival. And that comes down to minutes, really. So what we're saying is when something like this happens, make the call first. We say that again. We're emphasising that. But spring into action immediately. And you guys have seen the benefits of life-saving. Yeah, and, and it's it's really rewarding for, for myself and my colleagues within the ambulance service. And it is, if you look at the chain of survival, early access, early CPR, early defibrillation and early advanced life support. So we, all those links will come together and they do make a difference. So today, as a, a final sign-off on this, what age can you learn this from, or is the earliest age you should be learning it? And of course, it can go to any age, of course. Uh, eight-year-olds are at true schools, and that's been supported through uh, ESB uh, Ireland, and they have Hands for Life, and the Irish Heart Foundation are also rolling out continuous education through transition year students, uh, and it's there you can get CPR training through all our voluntary organisations. And if you want information, you can look up on um, NASH, National Admin Service website, so it's nas.ie, um, uh, and all it is there to tell you where to go. Okay, listen, it's been just great to have you here today, and I really do appreciate what you've done for me, because I needed that refresher, and I, I'm delighted I have, and I encourage everybody today to learn this skill, because it is a life-saving skill. Thank you for coming to LMFM today, and bringing your assistant here. I'm still out of breath a little bit, but I'm sure I'll gather my thoughts quickly, but for the moment, uh, we've made a commitment and we fulfilled it today on late lunch. I want to say a big thank you uh, to Mark Lynch, emergency medical technician. Thank you, Mark. And to Pat Smith, advanced paramedic with the ambulance uh, and ambulance officer. Thank you so, both so much indeed. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Th- thank you. And it's just this is uh, by, by the way, we would have two members of staff that retired today in Navin and we'd like to wish them well. Uh, Joseph Dwyer uh, and Lillian uh, Lillian Byrne is retiring from Navin and after long dedicated service to the Emmys we'd like to wish them well we wish them well and I'm sure it's countless lives and situations they've been at that they've worked wonders thank you so much indeed gentlemen and thank you to everybody for joining us on Facebook Live today we'll say goodbye to you there we're on the radio continuing with late lunch and sleep it does matter coming up after three I get the impression in Ireland today there's a massive sleep deficit. Am I right? Am I wrong? Are we getting enough? Deirdre McDermott from the Boyne Holistic Clinic is on the line. Afternoon, Deirdre. Tell me this. How much sleep should we be getting? We should on average get between seven and nine hours sleep a night um, as adults. And from the 1950s, say, till now, we've dropped our sleep. We still also get about eight hours sleep in the 1950s. And now we're down to about six and a half hours sleep per adult. And it's and not enough? It's not enough. Unfortunately, it's not enough. We've kind of started to see sleep as luxury. You know, we all walk around and we're saying, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so tired. And we're wearing like our exhaustion as a badge of honour. And sleep is one of those things that's getting lost. But it's not a luxury. It really is a necessity. No. And the reason, I suppose, one of the reasons for that is, we're the only species in the world that deprives itself of sleep on a, <laughs> on a, deliberately. Everybody else does it. They get oh, their sleep. Oh, yeah, animal kingdom. There, maybe a bit There's no bother. Here. They all sleep. So for that reason, in our body, we have no fail-safe mechanism. 
okay. you know, like we can't we can't bank our sleep. So you can't sleep during the week and not at the weekend. You know, there's no there's no safety system. So the minute you miss your sleep, the body sees a reaction. So and sleep is really important. That was, that's something I was thinking of. Like if, if you're good during the week and you get your requisite hours, you can't store that and then decide I only have four hours on Saturday, you know, Friday into Saturday, six Saturday into Sunday. No, that's no good. No, unfortunately not. We can't bank our sleep or else we'd all be doing it. So if I say, for example, you miss sleep and you get one night, you get four hours sleep, the next day you will have a 70% reduction in your immune system. So it's straight away because our body has built in, has no built in safety mechanism because we are the only species to do this. So you're saying to me that sleep deficit and not getting enough has serious implications for our health across the board. Yes. There's no good news. I'd, l- I'd love to come on and say That's all right. there's at least one good thing that uh, not sleeping did to you but there's not because it's such a news um, phenomenon for our body. We haven't really adapted to it. So there's no good, there's no good news. It has a lots of issues, causes lots of issues. It can cause poor memory. There's a 40% deficit in the ability to make new memories if you miss some sleep. It can cause weight gain. Uh, as I said, it can drop your immunity. We're not as creativity, not as creative if we miss our sleep. And obviously we all know if we don't sleep, we can feel moody and grumpy and irritable mm. with know. everyone around us. So it's not pleasant. I know. I, I use that as an excuse for people when um, <laughs> the encounters don't go so well. But that's for another time. Um, the, uh, the whole area of age and, you know, babies sleep lots. Young yeah. children sleep lots as well and need lots of sleep. Does it change as we travel through life's journey that you need less as you grow older or how does that work? They used to think that as you get older you needed less but you don't actually. So as adults and growing older we need, we still need our seven to nine, average eight. Uh, obviously teenagers will need more, they'll need up to the 11 plus hours. I think their sleep deficit has dropped much more than even the adults. So for example, if you miss one night's sleep you lose uh, the ability to make new memories by 40%. So you can imagine children in school, our teenagers are going to school and they've got an exam. They've lost 40% of their ability if mm. they lose one night's sleep. So doing an all-nighter or anything like that. So, Obviously, babies need more. When you get older, um, I think your sleep changes. It's harder to get that good sleep, you know, in the 70-plus range. But we still do need to get good sleep. Now... Some tips for people who are struggling with sleep. What do you say to ensure that you will get an, a good night's sleep? A few basics. Yeah, so sleep has kind of three qualities. It has duration, how long you sleep for. It has the timing, so what time you go to bed and what time you get up. And it has your intensity. So what we need to do to manage that is it really needs to be as dark as possible in the bedroom when you're sleeping. And try and dim your lights and keep everything dark. 30 minutes before you go to bed so that's why all this screen time all this computer work late at night it stops the pineal gland squeezing your melatonin which stops you sleeping so at least if you are on your phone or you are using your computer have it on your nighttime settings your bedroom should be cool about 18 degrees is, is more helpful to getting to sleep and um, stop taking your caffeine your teas and your coffees about four o'clock in the evening and what also really helps as well is if you get at least 30 minutes natural daylight during the day, that helps kind of get your body into its sleep rhythm, into its circadian rhythm. So 30 minutes um, bright light during the day outside helps you sleep better at night as well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Really, it's been really good for me because I'm a bit of a night owl. And so by doing all this research, it's helped me go to bed a bit earlier. So I don't like doing things because people tell me to do things. I like doing things if I know the reason behind it. And in any of the talks I do, I always tell people, you know, there's so much research out there and some of it contradicts each other. And we have to kind of make our own good health decisions. So if I advise people, if you hear any research, you know, put it through your own truth filter and see if it suits you and maybe try for a few days. And then if you see a benefit incorporated into your daily routine because everybody is so busy we don't need any more sticks to hit, to, um, hit ourselves with I know I know you know is it, it be better really hard to do everything everyone tells you to do you know it can just feel impossible sometimes I know is it better to catch some hours before midnight rather than maybe going at midnight and after it and still getting the requisite sleep there's 
not uh, strong research on that. What they do say is if you have, you should start at the time you need to get up at. So say you need to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. You should start there and go back your eight hours. So that means you need to be in bed by 11. So you're kind of setting a sleep intention. That's what time I go Okay, so up time is down time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? So you need to know. So then if you're sitting on your couch and you're watching TV and it's kind of quarter to 11, you'll know, wait now, my sleep time is 11. Yeah. And I'm not going to, you know, sit down here and watch another programme. So it's yes. all about setting good plans, good intentions. And if you're way off that at the moment, you know, even come back... 10 or 15 minutes every day because it is about forming new habits and making it easier for yourself mm. now if uh, I'm doing the darkness the cool temperature the no caffeine the daylight walk and all you've been talking about there and I'm still struggling a bit is there anything I can take to help me get shut eye yeah so there's a few things you can take so these are kind of general things you know um, you can take there's a nice herbal tea there's a puka nighttime herbal tea that kind of uh, you know sedates you down and obviously you're not taking caffeine then. Magnesium supplement is really helpful for people as well because we're all chronically low in magnesium and it does help to promote better sleep. Uh, some people would use essential oils, maybe lavender oil. There's a nice um, Irish product called Peace and Calm and that has a herb in it called valerian. So they're kind of, you know, the general things. They mightn't suit everyone because everyone mightn't, they mightn't sleep for different reasons. So they're kind of the general things you can do and then if that's not working they kind of need to go and get more specialist, you know, um, remedies yes, to, to take, help you sleep. Absolutely, take it from there. Take Listen, I have there. to leave it there for today. Boyne Holistic Clinic, that's where people yes. will find you. That's it. And I'm doing a talk in Trim Library on the 19th of November at 7 on Better Sleep and a Better You. Trim Library, 19th of November. Fair Check enough. it out. Deirdre McDermott. I have it right now, I can you tell do. you. Thank you. I've just woken up. Deirdre McDermott from Boyne Holistic Clinic. Thank you for joining me on Late Lunch today. Take care. Bye-bye. And we're leaving you, yes, with sleep in the song this afternoon. It's Sam Smith. Oh, what a brilliant man he is. And how do you sleep? I'm done hating myself for feeling. I'm done crying myself away. I gotta leave and start the healing. But when you move like that, I just wanna stay.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Jorda and Dundalk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.